0: Let's start this morning with a, uh, with a real basic question. The question I want you to think about is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Uh, I want you to think back to your first experiences of hearing about Jesus. You know, when those were, where you might have been. Uh, my mind goes back to a church a basement in Franklin, Indiana. Uh, I can remember it had concrete block walls. Not much, if any, sunlight. Little windows like this, you know, that let a little bit of sunlight in. Um, concrete floors. There were about 10 rooms down this hallway. The basement always seemed a little musty and a bit spooky, you know. We would play hide and seek down there and I was, I was always afraid of what might get me down there. And I remember sitting around a table with fluorescent lights humming above and listening to stories from the Bible being portrayed on a flannel board. Um, but what are, what are your memories about hearing about Jesus? It may have been a Bible story book that your parents read to you at night. Uh, Before you went to bed, it may have been a friend who said something to you about Jesus at school one day. It may have been that time you went to a campus ministry event when you were a college student. I could could easily associate Jesus with sugar cookies and Kool-Aid because that's what we had at VBS. Unless you're at Amanda Jones VBS, then you get carrots and water. Uh, (laughs) But we had sugar cookies and Kool-Aid, which was pretty good. And we would sing Booster Booster at the top of our lungs. And then we would whisper the lesser-known song, Tiptoe, Tiptoe in God's House. Do you remember that song? That was just a ploy to get the kids to be quiet, wasn't it? It's like, and I was confused. If it's God's house in that song, why isn't it God's house the rest of the time? No, it's just a church building the rest of the time, but that's a different sermon. Um, it was pretty, I was just messing with my little, my little mind. But I listened to stories and sat quiet, quietly and watched flannel board Jesus do some amazing things. And then got a cookie and a star for attendance. The answer to the question, who is Jesus, provides a wide variety of responses. I want you to see, uh, I'm going to show three different movie clips from bygone days, which give us three completely different views of Jesus. They're only like a minute and a half long. It's not too much. This first one we're going to look at is directed by Cecil B. DeMille in 1927, entitled King of Kings, and it was a silent movie. So let's watch this for a moment. So what do you think about that one? First of all, Jesus doesn't look very Jewish. (laughs) Uh, And I don't know. Do you think he would have healed children's dolls or fixed their toys? And the thing that really kind of confuses me in this is, why would a little Jewish girl be playing with a Roman soldier doll? (laughs) I don't know about that. The next clip is from 1960. Um, It's put together, directed by a filmmaker, an Italian filmmaker, Uh, Pierre Paul Pasolini and Pasolini dedicated this film to the Pope the story goes that Pasolini was caught up in a traffic jam caused by the Pope's visit in the town that he was in and it was so bad that it forced him to spend the night in a motel room. He had nothing to do that night so he decided to do some reading from the Gideon Bible which is the only thing he could find to read. Pasolini had zero interest in the church or in Jesus in fact he was an outspoken Marxist and as he read the New Testament he was amazed. Jesus wasn't at all who he thought he was. So Pasolini vowed to make a movie about him using only the words from the Gospel of Matthew, so he called this the Gospel according to St. Matthew. Non crediate che io sia venuto a portare pace sulla terra. Io non sono venuto a portare la pace, ma la spada, perché sono venuto a dividere l'uomo dal padre suo, e la figliola dalla madre sua, e la nuora dalla suocera sua e nemici dell'uomo saranno i suoi familiari chi ama il padre e la madre più di me e chi ama il figliuolo e la figliuola più di me non è degno di me chi avrà trovato la sua vita la perderà e chi avrà perduto la sua vita per causa mia la ritroverà is there anything that bothers you about this portrayal of Jesus? Um, seems to me like Jesus is kind of angry. He's, he's on edge. And the thing which stands out to me is that his eyes, they're just not very inviting. You know, it's like more like cutting through you with, you know, sabers. The last clip is called The Son of Man. Uh, this is a BBC production. I'll give you a little warning. It's really, really odd and kind of a little bit offensive. So, but I think you'll you'll get a kick out of this. Let's watch this one. Do you believe? Do you? Yes. 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 Give us a sign. A that? sign. What? If you are from God, that is. Give us a sign, Master. Yes, yes. Come on. Give us a sign. A sign. Uh, five five more. Five more. What sort of sign? Well, if you are from God. Uh. I say if... Come here. Come a bit closer. You want a sign? If you are from God, that is. A thunderbolt! Will that do? Look, i am, Temple Policeman. I could crackle the flames through your limbs. Temple Policeman. No, no! <sighs> Only a godless generation asks for a sign. Do you want to see the corn before it's planted? Hypocrite, look, I know you for what you are. Master, master, should we pay taxes to the Romans? Should we acknowledge the rule of the heathen? <laughs> tell us what to do, tell us! See how they try and trap me. <laughs> it's just that you can tell us what to do. Yeah, 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 have you got a coin? What? A coin, a coin, no, 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 no. Have you got a coin? <clears throat> And whose head is that on the coin? Caesar's. Well, now you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And you give to God what belongs to God. Shut up! Come on. Now I will tell you. I will tell you things kept secret since the world began. (laughs) <laughs> my favorite part's the hair flip. Like, <laughs> that's good. It's like a cross between Jack Black and Justin Beringer. I think. <laughs> um, and he doesn't know that we're not supposed to say shut up. He just doesn't know that. So I'm pretty sure my image of Jesus isn't much like any of these three. Uh, if you pull together a few things we know about Jesus, it's sometimes difficult to make it all fit. We know he had charisma. He was able to hold people's attention for a long time. He was definitely articulate. He cried in front of others. He didn't hide his fears. He was not afraid to ask for help. He was quick to hand out praise to others. I mean, All kinds of images of Jesus have been tossed around over the years. In fact, if you want to read a, a book about Jesus from one of our own, Ernie uh, Haven has a book entitled, Who is Jesus? I think we have a copy, of a, a picture of that. Is that up there? Nope. Okay. Um, and you can pick that up on Amazon. Uh, knowing Ernie, I guarantee you the book is very thoughtful. Uh, many, many years ago, I saw these thoughts in an article written by the legendary sports writer, um, Billy Reed, who died earlier this year. And he referenced a couple of descriptions he discovered from an athlete's perspective. Here's what he wrote. Norm Evans, former Miami Dolphins lineman, wrote in his book on God's squad I guarantee you Christ would be the toughest guy who ever played this game. If he were alive today, I would picture a six foot, six inch, 260 pound defensive tackle who would always make the big plays and would be hard to keep out of the backfield for offensive linemen like myself. Fritz Peterson, a former New York Yankee, continuing in, in Reed's words, more easily fancies Jesus in a baseball uniform. I firmly believe that if Jesus Christ was sliding into second base, he would knock the second baseman into left field to break up the double play. Christ might not throw a spitball, but he would play hard within the rules. (laughs) Jesus could be viewed as a walking contradiction. One day he did miracles, the next day he didn't. One day he'd talk about a second coming, the next day he would say, no one knows. One day he would talk about peace, the next day he'd talk about swords. One author writes, if Jesus had never lived, we would not have been able to invent him. So as we think about the question, who is Jesus this morning, I want you to turn to Matthew 16, a very familiar uh, portion of the text in our Bibles. Uh, I'm going to read verse 13 to 19. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." So one day, Jesus takes his followers to Caesarea Philippi, a place famous for water that flows um, from Mount Hermon down to Jericho. And Jesus decides to give his students a pop quiz. Now, pop quizzes have great value in revealing what we really know and not just what we cram for the night before. Uh, I got to tell a story because it's one of my favorite stories that I get to tell every now and then. You guys, some of you have been around, have heard it for a while, uh, uh, maybe a time or two. But it's my favorite pop quiz story. And it's a, a pop quiz story about a class on ornithology. So these students were told they had to identify 25 species of birds. But all they had to go on was pictures of the bird's feet. started showing these bird's feet up there, and this one student was just really getting perturbed. He would watch one feed. He didn't know. He didn't know anything about these bird's feet. And he he just got to the point where he couldn't take the pressure, and he refused to take the test, and he headed for the door. And the professor told this student, if you walk out of here, you're going to flunk this test. And then he said to the student, what's your name? And the student said, you tell me. I love that story. (laughs) Jesus couldn't have picked a better place to ask this question than Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was home to the Greek god Pan. And again, as I mentioned before, this place was famous for the water that flowed there. To this day, there's a huge cave with a refreshing stream of water flowing nearby. Uh, Josephus, who's an historian of ancient times, said the water gushed out of this cliff that was so powerful that you couldn't measure the depth of the pool that the water created. And above that same cave was a cliff with a giant crack in it. The followers of Pan believed this was the place where the spirits from hell would come to and go from the earth. And this crack was called, of all things, the gates of what? The gates of hell, the gates of Hades. Baal worship was once popular there. They also had a huge temple dedicated to Caesar. The temples of the Syrian gods were all around. This is not a place a good Jewish boy hangs out, yet this is where Jesus led them that day. The things people do here in their worship to other gods is detestable. They are unmentionable. And you know these boys hope their parents don't find out where they've been. It was in this setting with the gods of the world represented, all the gods except for the God of Israel, that he asked the question, who do people say I am? And the disciples have wasted, they may, they may have wasted no time in their response. They said, some say you're John the Baptist. And you remember, John the Baptist is dead at this point. Uh, but Herod started this rumor that Jesus is John the Baptist risen from the dead. They said, some think you're Elijah. Well, Elijah died 900 years ago. But the Jews saw Elijah as kind of the prince of the prophets. Some people think you're Jeremiah. You know, prophets were never admired in their day. It took their death for them to become popular. The Jews made Jeremiah's life miserable, but after he died, they put him on a pedestal. When it comes to to spouting off rumors and musings of others, the disciples are quick to answer. But then Jesus lobs his personal question their way, what about you? Who do you say I am? In Caesarea Philippi, there isn't a single monument in Jesus' honor. Jesus is not endorsed by the Roman government. He is not endorsed by the Jews. In a short time, he's going to die. And no one but Peter responds. And Peter doesn't have a greater moment in his life than this moment. I wonder how long the silence was before Peter speaks up. I wonder what everybody else was thinking. Was Peter's statement a proud proclamation or a hesitant hope? Peter looked at Jesus, and he thought about that question. Who do I believe he is? This wasn't the first time he thought about that question. In fact, it's been a fairly common question running through the crowd and through the camp. It was being asked by anyone who had been around Jesus for very long. One day, Jesus is out on a boat with his disciples, and and he calms a storm with just a word. And the response, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. On several occasions, he kicks demons out of people. And those watching ask, who, who is this? What is this? A new kind of teaching with authority. Another day, he heals a paralyzed guy. This guy dropped on, in on him, literally, from the ceiling. And those around there said, we've never seen anything like this. The night Jesus walked from the shore out onto the water, the question on everybody's mind in the boat was, who is this man? The day he took a boy's picnic lunch and fed a hillside full of people, they all wondered, who is this man? The day he wove with stro- st- leather strips together and ran the money changers out of the temple, they asked themselves, who is this man? Peter had definitely asked himself this question before, and so had John and Matthew and Andrew, and so of you. Who is this man? Every serious student of life has stood in his or her version of Caesarea Philippi against the backdrop of all the options of their particular generation And as heard Jesus ask this question, who do you say I am? Jesus asked a lot of questions during his ministry, but this question has to be one of the premier questions for us to answer. It seems to me that if we get the answer to this question right, we're on track to eventually answering the question, who am I? Having a clear and healthy understanding of Jesus' identity sets us on a course to having a clear and healthy understanding of our own identity. And we spend a lot of thought and time and money investing in our identity. And a good bit of that investment may not be producing much of a return rate. If we were more in touch with who we are, we wouldn't have to be told what to do. Or we wouldn't have a tough time making a decision about what to do. God is extremely generous when he calls us saints and holy in his message to us. You know that saint means set apart. But the message is crystal clear that we're not set apart because of anything we've done. We're set apart because of Jesus and because of what he's done and because of who he is. We're set apart because we've been drawn by God to believe in him. Several years ago, our family was eating dinner at Pacini's. Uh It was Mary and me and uh, Zach and Jenna. And we'd all enjoyed our meal and we'd had some good conversation, laughed a lot. Uh, listen to stories about what had happened through each other's week. And then our, wait, our waitress came by to pick up the plates and she said to us, your bill has been paid. You're all set to go. Well, that, that's a strange feeling. And I, di- I didn't really know what to do with, with that. And we looked around the room, of course, trying to see familiar faces and we didn't see anybody looking back at us that we knew. It's like, what? What am I supposed to do? To insist on paying would have been pointless. I mean, all I could do was trust that she was right and then live in that truth, which meant getting up, leaving the restaurant without paying anything. So I had a choice, to live like it was true or to create my own reality in which the bill was not paid. So Jesus' question comes to our ears. Who do you say I am? And Peter's answer is affirmed by Jesus in a huge way. He says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. And notice Jesus didn't say, Simon, you're right. That's the right answer. He says, Simon, you are blessed. Now tell me, would you rather be right or would you rather be blessed? We have a choice to live like it's true that Jesus is the Messiah or create our own reality of Jesus, which isn't quite who he says he is or his promises don't really carry as much weight as he implies. And so we have to fill in the gaps and kind of stuff up the holes. If we get the answer right to Jesus' question, we'll be on our way to answering the question, who am I? So go go down this road with me for a few minutes. Our identity is defined in large part by who loves us. Think about that for a moment. From the beginning of creation, God has been telling us, who we are, and who loves us. He tells us in every way possible that we are valuable, that we are beautiful, and that we are loved. God gave us worth. And here's just one more well-known example of this message in Psalm 139. Maybe the best place. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in the book before one of them came to be. Outside of our relationship with God, true worth, honest worth is not to be found. Jesus came to affirm God's love for us. Listen to these words from 1 John 4. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We are deeply loved by the creator of the universe. He has held nothing back to show us how loved we are. Now hang with me on this path for a few more strides. When we miss the truth about Jesus' identity and why he came and that it's all about love, when we miss that, when our relationship with Jesus or our understanding of Jesus gets a kink in it, then we feel the desire to be loved and respected by other people. And when that happens, our true identity is at risk. Let's take a few more strides in this direction. When our identity is at risk, we then make certain choices in an attempt to be loved by someone, maybe even anyone. The journey down this path for identity then leads us to all kinds of second-rate destinations. We'll start playing to the crowd, seeking out their love to affirm our value. We'll try to be exceptional at something so that we can get the applause. We'll push others down so that we'll stand out on the crowd and be noticed. Everything is subject to change. Our wardrobe, our calendar, our spending, our hangouts, our habits. We so long to be loved because with love comes a sense of worth and value and an identity. Sometimes in an attempt for identity, we'll pick a group we want to be associated with, and then we'll change ourselves to fit those traits. And that doesn't just happen in high school, in junior high school. It happens all through life. Every one of us has faced the longing to be noticed and affirmed, the longing to belong and to be loved. And somewhere along this path, we'll hit a crossroad where the choice becomes fairly stark. Continuing down this path will lead to an identity with this group, but the cost will be steep the cost is to say, Jesus isn't enough. His love isn't enough. To be who you want to be, you need a different sort of love than what Jesus is giving you. To stop at the crossroad and choose to not continue down this path, to choose an identity with Christ and in Christ, also comes with a cost. And that cost just might be not belonging. Not being loved and not being identified with the crowd or with this group or with this person you so want to connect with and you so want to identify with. And here's what appears to be true. There's, there's no way I can prove this, but it seems to make sense. It makes sense because I've lived it and I've listened to stories from others. And here it is. When we try to get other people to say we're valuable, when we try to get other people to love us, even when they do, it's just not quite completely satisfying Especially for the long haul. Soon somebody more important comes along, and now we need their affirmation and their love, which calls for us to be a different person than we are. Or our stage of life changes and causes us to want to fit into a different group. So we go through all that work again, trying to evolve and trying to belong, trying to get somebody to love us. And the target keeps moving, and we keep changing trying to be who we were made to be, but never really settling in on what that truly looks like. And Jesus asks us, who do you say I am? And we all say, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God, you're the Lord, you're my Savior, or whatever other descriptive word is your favorite. But here's the thing, does the identity of Jesus you settle in on, at your very core, does this identity of Jesus drive? And does it anchor? And does it define who you are? Or is the identity of the Messiah more honestly about choosing to have a little bit of Jesus in your, to round out your life? Colossians 3 is a text I've referenced a couple of times recently. It's really one of my favorites. And listen to these words from Paul once again. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Here's my favorite part. For your life is now hidden with Christ in God. My life, which certainly includes my identity, is now hidden with Jesus in God. At our very core, God's message to us is that his love is enough. It's nice to be loved by you. It's good to belong to a group. We all appreciate being firmed and valued valued by others. But even if that doesn't happen, or if it doesn't happen the way I prefer it to happen, God still loves me, and he still loves you. And with that truth at the core of my identity, I'm now free to become who God made me to be with no distractions, no excuses. And going down that path is definitely better than any identity I could create for myself. Take a last look at Jesus' affirmation of Peter's statement. But what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This rock Jesus builds his church on is the truth about the identity of Jesus. Now, if if the identity of Jesus is strong enough on which to build God's church, strong enough to penetrate even the gates of hell, then the identity of Jesus is certainly strong enough and expansive enough and deep enough. Jesus' identity is definitely enough for us to build our identity on. And anything other than that plan would be less than what God has planned for you, which perhaps explains why we're not completely satisfied when our identity is more about our plan than being anchored in Jesus. You want to know who you are? Then get to know Jesus. Discover who he is. You want to learn about what you were made for? Then dig around in the life of Jesus and see what he was all about. Starting with Jesus is always best. Starting with yourself leads down well-beaten paths to disappointing destinations. So this morning, the invitation is very simple. It begins with Jesus' question, who do you say I am? And your answer to that question leads to the next question, who am I? These are two very important questions to think seriously about. Who is Jesus and who am I? And if you feel you need to talk with someone about either of these, we're happy to spend time with you and listen and and walk through it. What we think about Jesus foundationally impacts what we think about ourselves. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, we want to see Jesus. We want to see him for who he is, not who we've made him to be, not a Jesus who fits our agenda not a Jesus Jesus whom we're comfortable with. We want our identity to be shaped by his. So this morning we pray for clarity. Show us what we're missing and give us experiences which clear the fog as well as our own misunderstanding. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's stand together and sing.